call the joint uh, agency meeting to order. Welcome everyone who is here. I would ask that you'd go around and introduce yourself and whom you represent, please, because there's some new faces. Starting here? Sure. Susan Mims, Iowa City City Council. John Lundell, the mayor of Coralville. Rod Sullivan, Board of Supervisors. Laura Burgess, Iowa City City Council. Janice Weiner, Iowa City City Council. Lisa Williams, a school board member. Bruce Teague, mayor of Iowa City. Uh, Charlie Eastham, member of the school board. Terry Donahue, mayor of North Liberty. Iowa City City Council, Pauline Taylor. Janelle Reddick, board of supervisors. Janet Godwin, school district. Brent Smith, North Liberty City Council. Megan Foster, Coralville City Council. Kathy Knievel, Hill City Council. Tim Kemp, Mayor Hills. Louise Fromm, Mayor, University Heights. Roy Sandporter, Johnson County Supervisors. Lisa Green Douglas, Board of Supervisors. And do we have any elected or officials in the audience that couldn't find a seat up here yet? <laughs> <laughs> if not, we'll move on ahead. Update, Johnson County Access Center. All yours, sir. Thank you, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Matt Miller, Project Manager for Johnson County on this. Um, I realize some of you are probably more in the know on this project than others. Um, so I've kind of kept this at a high level, but if you have any questions as I'm going through, please just stop me. Uh, uh, that's not going to slow me down by any means. <laughs> so first thing, I've got the project kind of broken into five different phases. So we've got building, operational legal structure, funding, community outreach, and operations. I'll go through each one of those. Um, starting with the building. So our building permit was issued on November 22nd. Construction started shortly thereafter. Um, we were pretty fortunate to have a pretty mild December, so work got to continue. Um, work got started on the building pad. They put in trench footings, um, did some rock and some grading, things like that. They started the plumbing last week. This is any plumbing that's going in below 42 inches deep. Um, I did just talk with the project, with their construction project manager today though, and winter shutdown is gonna occur at the end of this week. It's just gonna be too cold to do any of the remaining activities. Um, they still have roughly a third of the trench footings to pour. He said they need like like two to three days for that. Um, there's some utilities grading that they have to do um, and they need to report some of the curb cuts as well. Um, so it's just a lot of the concrete stuff that you can't do when the temperatures get this low. Um, basically we had planned for a winter shutdown anyway um, but the activities we wanted to get done before the winter shutdown are not complete yet. Now, I don't know exactly what that means yet quite at this time because it may warm up again and they may be able to finish some of this work as well. So it's really contingent on the weather at this point. Um, what they talked to me on the phone today about was that they'll put together an official change order request and let me know uh, what they think the timeline implications could be or what the cost implications could be. So I'm still gathering information on that, but that's where we currently sit with everything. And for those of you, once again, who haven't seen it, I've got a building plan here. If anybody has questions, I can walk through anything. If not, I'll just move on. Okay, next up, we've been working on uh, operational and legal structure. So the managing entity and service provider agreements um, are underway. Um, sorry for how small this is, but you can kind of see what our structure looks like there. So we've got most of that worked out. We're still just working on adding some final detail. Um, the two key pieces that we're working on are financial reporting requirements. Um, so Abbey Health, you can see there is the managing entity. They have provided some sample reports of what they'll normally show. Um, so now uh, the county and our county counterparts who are uh, partners on this are going through and determining if that's what we want or if we need some more specific requirements. Same thing with the evaluation <coughs> metrics here as well. Um, so um, 
all of our current service providers are required to provide um, a certain level of reporting just by the state uh, chapter 24 requirements. Um, what we're doing is going through and determining what additional things we want to do above and beyond that, like what um, would be in our reporting that we could provide to law enforcement and everyone else. So we're kind of standardizing what we want there. But once again, it's just adding the detail to the contracts to make sure that we're not missing anything. Next up, funding. This has been taking all my time in the last two weeks, I'll be mm -hmm. honest with you, as I'm sure it's taking all you guys' time as well. Um, so really what we're doing, this being budget season, is working on making sure we have very um, accurate budget estimates at this time. Um, just to save you the suspense, where we're currently at with capital funding would be $10.3 million for capital. That's all in. That's construction of the building. That's marketing costs, other things like that. <coughs> Um, with operations, we're looking at within our first year, we're needing 1.2 million in funding for that. Um, so we're definitely um, working on a few different things there. So the East Central Region is the Mental Health Disability Services region that we fall into. Um, we presented to them last week with what our operational budget was going to be and walked through some of those numbers and estimates. Um, I'm going to their board meeting next week as well to talk that through with them. So we're trying to, to work closely with them to make sure that the mental health side of this is going to be funded. Um, the other thing that is relevant to all you guys is the 2080 agreement. Um, I know that the three municipalities went in together and um, provided one agreement back to the county. Um, we've taken a look at that, and I think uh, you'll be hearing from us uh, pretty shortly on that. One thing I'll encourage is uh, for city council members, please make sure you're working with your attorney and getting this on agendas and, and pushing it forward. Um, I think I was here at your October 14th meeting and kind of said the same message. And at the time, I hoped we'd have it wrapped up by Thanksgiving. Here we are in the new year and we're still not done. So once again, I'll mention, just please make sure you're uh, having communication with your council or with your attorneys about that. The other thing I'll mention that we're working on here is meeting with payers. Um, so uh, through some of our connections with the university, we've been able to uh, get some meetings with Medicaid organizations and we have an upcoming meeting with Walmart here just to talk about reimbursement rates. Uh, we know that access centers are sort of in a, a different middle ground. We're not necessarily inpatient. We're not necessarily outpatient. We're just kind of a new <laughs> program. So we're talking about what different reimbursement packages we might be able to get, things of that nature. Just making sure that we're getting the optimum amount of funding that we can to, to make sure we're sustainable long term. Um, we also met with uh, Liz Matney, who is um, the governor's health policy advisor. We met with her about a month ago in Des Moines. So a lot of positive meetings have been going on, and we'll, we'll try to keep those going as well. Um, but obviously, funding right now is the big issue. Um, if you can read my graph, which is a little, which is a little small, what, whoops. One thing I love about this is it actually shows how much participation there is in this. Um, it's great that we have all the municipalities providing support. It's great that we're working with the region and what Johnson County's done. Um, I think we're pretty unique in the fact that this is being funded from a lot of different sources, whereas other access centers you look at throughout the country or even other ones more locally, um, they're really leaning on just like one payer source. So we're trying to do everything we can to work with a lot of people here and, and diversify that way. Any questions thus far? Okay. So here's an exciting piece. So for community outreach, we have been working with uh, Meld Marketing to help us with our name, logo, and brand identity. Um, you can see our name and logo down there, which hopefully will be approved by the Board of Supervisors. That's on our work agenda for next week. But um, internally, with some of our executive committee members, they've all reviewed this and, and given this their blessing. So we're going to be rolling this out officially as the Guide Link Center. You can see our tagline and logo there as well. 
Um, Meld has also been working with us on website development. Um, we've purchased um, a domain name and they're working on getting the site set up. Um, we also have several print materials that'll be available as well. Um, we'll have some different brochures that are targeted at different audiences, whether it's just the general public or whether it's healthcare providers or whether it's law enforcement. Um, so we're going through that and we'll have like a quick reference card we'll be able to hand out too. So we really are, are working to get to get this kind of finalized and then start getting the word about this more and more as we get closer to opening. And that's kind of a cool sign. That's not going to be our sign or our building, but that's just kind of an example of what it looks like. I find it helps people visualize it and kind of get behind it a little bit more. So GuideLink Center is what you'll be seeing uh, in the near future when referring to Access Center. Uh, the final thing I want to mention is from an operational standpoint, what we're doing. Some of this stuff um, <clears throat> kind of overlaps with um, other areas, um, but a few things I'll mention here is a medical director. So Abbey Health, as our managing entity, will be hiring a medical director, and they've already got someone selected in mind for this. This is someone who's dual trained in both family medicine and psychiatry. Um, came with a really strong recommendation, actually did her med school here at the U of I, and then has been out in Denver for the last few years, kind of running a similar type of clinic. Um, so we're really excited to have her starting. She'll be um, back as an MD at the at UIHC on January 31st, and then con contracting um, and to start working with us um, this, this summer, hopefully. Um, so it's good to get her on the, on the ground floor here. Um, working on staffing optimization here as well. So a lot of our service providers have been looking to figure out staffing ratios. Boy, that is a sensitive cord. Whoever told me that? <laughs> it's okay. We're basically at the end. <laughs> um, so staffing optimization is what they're going to be looking at. Um, basically looking at our different ratios, we had a call with um, kind of that peer institution in San Antonio last week to take a look at what they're doing. Um, so we're really trying to work <coughs> through that. Um, we've also uh, working on our workflows. Like when someone shows up at the center, how is that workflow actually gonna go? Who's gonna be taking care of who, who's doing what? So we just wanna make sure we have that all mapped out and, and clarified. So we've been meaning to discuss that. And the final thing, I mentioned this a little bit early, but performance metrics, um, that overlaps with what we wanna get in our contracts, but here as well, because um, it's gonna be how we evaluate if we're successful or not. So we're taking a, a look at, at all of, uh, of those options there. Um, had, a, had a really good call this morning with um, someone who has set up an access center in Arizona. Connections AZ is the name of that one. Um, it, really, really positive call with them this morning. So we're learning from what others have done as well throughout the country. And so those would be the five project phases. Are there any other questions you guys may have for me? Questions or comments? John? Um, well, first a comment and then a question. Um, our intent in Coralville is to review the the uh, uh, 2080 agreement at tomorrow night's work session, with the hope of getting it to a point where we will approve it at our last meeting in in January, the fourth Tuesday. So that's that's our goal is to get it done by the end of the month. Um, and my question is, the you mentioned the East Central group that you have talked to and are going to go meet with. Yes. Did I read in the paper? Did they preliminarily? reject you or was that some other group that, I, that uh, I'm confusing? I'll, they did, but we weren't even there to be rejected. I'll say oh, that. Okay. So I, I think it came up at their last meeting. I, I wasn't notified that they were even going to be talking about our access center. I think Lynn County talked about theirs and it kind of got roundly oh. put off for later. I had been in contact with their CEO actually just before that meeting and she told me about <clears throat> 
uh, a big strategy session that they have coming up in February, and she told me that's the thing to be pre prepared for. So I wasn't even honestly aware that Lynn County was going to be bringing that up, and then when I saw it in the paper, I'm like, okay, that kind of got blown. Up <laughs> okay, a little bit. that's the same thing. They did end up inviting me for January, and okay. then um, we'll talk about the February strategy session too. So that that was the agenda that I always thought got laid out. Thanks. Um, just to that, I was at that meeting, and it it ended up being almost more of a timing issue um, because Lynn County was looking to sign a contract for um, some of the construction that they're having done and that was coming up right away and they wanted a firm commitment on the numbers <coughs> and our budget person was not at that meeting um, was not able to be there and so without the firm numbers um, the board um, chose to not say absolutely yes but kind of like conceptually we're okay with it but we need to see numbers and so that's coming up next week the 23rd and if anybody wants to just show up as a show of support that would be wonderful 130 in Lynn County Gene Oxley building on the 23rd any other questions where can I get more information about this I mean you know maybe even your uh, um I'm glad to send you some information. Um, sorry, I have my contact information in the presentation, which is not showing. <laughs> um, right. Matt, just leave some Matt can come to you. a city council meeting. Yeah, or I'd be glad to do that, certainly. I know, but I want to, you know, make a report first and yeah. get more information. Let me leave you my contact okay. information. I'll, I actually have a card out in my car, so I'll bring it in for you. Thank you. Yes, you had a, you had a comment. Uh, <clears throat> Matt, I, I'm sure I should know this, but uh, is it expected that uh, either clients seeking services at the Access Center or uh, 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 adults, or not adults, but minors who might be seeking services, is it expected that there will be uh, students in the local school system that would be involved with people uh, who are seeking access are seeking services so so we'll be 18 and older so adult only facility okay um we do plan on probably getting quite a bit of university students will be there um as far i mean i'm not sure if i understand your question well, about, like, will would, they be work will any students be working with not necessarily working but would any students be family members of clients who are coming to the access center would students uh, be family members uh, of people that k, k, k through 12 center? k through 12 age students <clears throat> It's certainly possible that, like, yeah, if adults could be there that would have children in school. From and have we, in terms of the management structure and the operational structure, we thought through how that would work with um, uh, what the school district would likely be interested in in terms of what services they're... Like the parents are receiving? Parents might receive and how, to, how that affects... I personally haven't been a part of any of those discussions, but I'll say that if that if those are current things that are happening, like at Prelude or with any uh, with Abbey Community Mental Health, I mean I'm sure those will continue. Um, I'm not sure what they do currently, but I can certainly jot that down and check in with them to see what kind of considerations we need to be making there. Okay, and I, I maybe maybe a miss here. This the district may be well aware of what the possibilities are and how to accommodate them sure I, I mean I'm not even at, at first thought my first thought is how, how would that even work with like HIPAA regulations and things like that like can no. you notify a school district if someone 
so so basically like can you if i'm understanding correctly like for example you're saying somebody could be a seventh grade student at somewhere and their parent could show up because they're having a mental health crisis and they could be in our crisis obs unit and maybe we find out that they have a substance abuse problem as well and they go through detox with us are you saying like would we notify the school district that that parent is going through that I'm not quite sure what I'm saying, but, <laughs> <laughs> but if the if there are uh, school age kids involved uh, with people coming to the access center, I well, there certainly won't be any school age kids directly no, getting no, services put up from us. But yeah, if their parents, I, I'm not really so, sure. So Charlie, you know, we're working pretty closely with some folks who uh, do emergency medicine at UIHC. Okay, and I'm sure that they run into that all the time and probably have some procedures and the odds are good that we'll want to borrow whatever procedures they have yeah. and do something similar yeah, certainly um, like i mean i'll touch base with our service providers <clears throat> because it i mean this really is a continuation of services that are already available we're just putting them all under one roof um so right. i'll definitely bring that up at our next service provider meeting and maybe they can fill me in on what's going on there okay thank you charlie kind of <clears throat> separate but may help a little bit separately the county pays for a program that's emergency child care so um, law enforcement knows that in through four C's and if um, if a parent for example is taken to the emergency room or detained and there are no other options <clears throat> family that can be called and whatnot the county pays through block grants for for emergency child care but that doesn't answer your question about whether or not then the school can be communicated with about that right um, and that's really, but yeah. you know i would assume that that <clears throat> program will be important as parents who may have no other resources may and already do become involved in in this broader system um, so that is a temporary fix but not a long-term fix okay thank you any other comments or questions? Matt, thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Proposed uh, 2088 agreement for the Johnson County Access Center. And who is giving us information on that? Well, the, yeah, this is this is essentially, uh, Matt, Matt touched on this, but um, for the cities of Iowa City, Coralville, and North Liberty, along with the county, uh, there, uh, each of us has attorneys working on this. I see ours out in the audience. Um, and we are getting close to getting some agreements uh, that will have to be voted on by each entity and approved. And so, as Matt was saying, we've been working on this for a while. We just don't want to um, let it linger too much longer, in part because uh, with construction having already started, we're already paying bills and we would like some more money with which to pay them. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I'm, I'm told by the attorneys that they're really down to just a couple of, of sticking points. And so hopefully, uh, I believe the ball is in our court right now, but there'll be something coming out to uh, the rest of you shortly. And we just want to get this done as soon as we can. So just a reminder to keep it on your front burners. Thank you. Go ahead. Is there a date that they Jones County Board of Supervisors is um, aiming for? I, I don't think there's a set date. We just uh, want to get it done sooner rather than later. We'll need the money sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I guess he um, tried for Thanksgiving and we didn't get there. And so. Because you all are working through your budget now. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly once uh, it gets warm enough again to do construction, we will burn through what we have available and we'll, we'll want to get into some other other uh, sources of, of income, yeah. So. Um, it might actually be a good idea if you're willing as you have your um, agendas kind of looking out here at the um, people who do those um, to have a standing uh, item on your agenda so that if something comes up you you do have the ability to discuss it because um, you know when Matt mentioned that weather is going to be part of our uh, guiding uh, force in terms of when we can do things and then that would also dictate when we need the money if you have a standing agenda item then you can bring it up at any meeting that you have and and that might be an option I would really encourage you to consider that um, both for um, the monetary commitment but also for the 2080 agreements as as they are finished Anything else on that one? Thank you one and all. Johnson County Mobile Home Task Force report. Thank you. Uh, most of you should have gotten copies of the uh, report, which was in the back of the room. If you didn't, I think there are still some more uh, back there because it's very helpful because it's very lengthy. I'll go through each and every page if you'd like, but that's, that might be a little tedious, so it'd be best, I think, if you can take it along with you and kind of absorb the things. And I'll touch on a few of the things that I'd, I'd like you to really focus on. The um, Johnson County Mobile Home Task Force uh, was convened last spring in conjunction with Sarah Barons, and I think most of you know Sarah. I'd like to recognize her there because she was very instrumental in this, and the Johnson County, uh, along with the Johnson County Affordable Homes Coalition, uh, to identify what could be done to protect residents of mobile home communities. And this was done in reaction to what most of you are probably aware uh, was going on at that time, and that was the unexpected crisis of predatory investors purchasing existing mobile home parks in the area. Uh, Gulfview and North Liberty for one, uh, Sunrise in the eastern side of Iowa City, uh, Western Hills in Coralville, and one in West Branch. And first I want to say that this report was, was not solely an Iowa City accomplishment, but was a joint effort by many entities, um, some of whom are sitting up here at the table along with us and some out in the audience. Uh, it was one of the most remarkable groups of people that uh, I've ever been a part of. You can see from the list of uh, members that on the second page there uh, that there were uh, uh, representatives from just about every entity you could think of, which was, which was re really great. Um, it was especially great to have State Senator Zach Walls as part of our group. Uh, the report, as you can uh, go through it, you can see has a set of 12 recommendations that we hope can be considered <coughs> and adopted by local city and county governments, uh, as well as what can be done at the state level. Senator Walls has assured us that uh, he has been and will continue to advocate uh, on the state level for the rights of mobile home residents, especially in regards to rent protection, rent protection and good cause eviction language. It was, it was shocking to learn that there's very little on the state level that protects uh, these individuals from, from these kinds of things. Uh, it's become uh, critically important to uh, preserve the affordability and quality uh, of living that these mobile home communities provide. For many years, they have been um, a level of affordable living that uh, had been unmet by any other markets. 
Uh, this has been threatened by those private investors. Uh, immediately after their purchase of Gulfview, as many of you might be aware, they announced a 63% increase in the rent, which uh, I don't know about you, but if my budget was increased that much, I, I don't know where I would cut corners. That's just uh, phenomenal and, and deplorable, I would say. Uh, I would like to give credit also to the University of Iowa Law Clinic students. Uh, they compiled some great data for this report. Uh, you can see it in here, the numbers and data, uh, most notably rent rates. The three highest lot rents in Johnson County are all parks that were owned by these investment firms, which that makes a statement right there. And the uh, park values, their land values, have seen significant increase, one of them jumping from $1 million in 2012 to over $10 million in 2019. That's quite a significant increase. Uh, in developing the recommendations, our group looked at other states uh, and what they have done to offer protection for mobile home residents and to ascertain that manufactured housing continues to be a source of affordable housing. We found that these predators have become a nationwide trend, and cities across the country are seeking ways to preserve the affordable aspect of mobile home communities. Uh, thank you to those of you, I think some of you, maybe North Liberty and perhaps Quarrelville, uh, have brought this to the attention of your uh, governing bodies already. The Iowa City Council shared the report with our city staff, and I'm pleased to say that uh, in our most recent 21, 2021 to 2025 City Steps five-year plan for housing, uh, jobs and services for low-income residents uh, has language that now reflects that mobile home or modular homes are an important part of the affordable housing market. And one important item is the need to expand uh, rehab efforts for uh, a number of these mobile homes. Uh, recommendation number eight is one that I'd like you to pay attention to. It relates to a joint collaboration statement. What I would ask is that we as a group consider making such a joint statement. Uh, some of you might need um, more time to kind of digest all of this information and perhaps take it back to your uh, joint uh, governing bodies for their thoughts on this. But I would like to stress the importance uh, of these recommendations to enable mobile home communities to continue to be uh, safe, stable, and affordable housing options because uh, as the uh, report states and everybody says is that uh, everyone deserves to be housing secure. Sarah, do you have anything you can add to that? Hi, Sarah Barron. I'm the director of the Affordable Housing Coalition. Um, I just want to highlight that this was a report specifically focused on what our local governments can do in response to the crisis facing manufactured housing communities. So there are many, many things happening. The scope of this report is really on what you all can do. Um, and admittedly, <coughs> it's limited. Um, it's limited based on state law, it's limited based on resources, and that's why we really wanted to find what were the, the, the action steps you could take. And so each of these 12 recommendations has been vetted by our task force members. Some of them might be a little bolder um, in um, what it asks for from you than others, but each of them um, represents a critical piece of putting the whole puzzle together to provide ongoing security for residents and manufactured housing. We're talking about about um, 3,000 households in Johnson County who rely on manufactured housing for affordable options. Um, people who do not have access to other housing at that price point that meets their needs in the same way. Some of our most economically vulnerable residents, um, lots of folks on fixed incomes, 
um, lots of folks who are working important entry-level jobs in our community, um, people with children, retired people, people work living on Social Security. Um, and so um, it's critically important that they have a housing opportunity in the community that's supported um, and that's stable. And um, I can also share with you that alongside the work you all are doing in response to these recommendations are a number of other actions taking place on the state and national level as well as locally to keep strengthening resources. Some of you may have seen um, that Representative Cindy Axney recently introduced some legislation to protect manufactured housing residents. Um, we will see some bills certainly in the Iowa legislature this coming session um, and also our social services providers and residents are working together to strengthen resources on an, that that level as well so um, this is just kind of your piece of the pie to to help us take care of so thank you any questions for your presenter oh, okay uh, uh, Terry, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, Sarah, you mentioned children living in uh, mobile home parks. Do we have any idea about how many school-aged children might be living in the among those 3,000-plus households in the county? I don't yeah. have any data about that. And, and one of the recommendations, frankly, um, it talks a little bit about being more explicit about manufactured housing communities and who lives in them. Um, even in our um, existing data, it's difficult to tease out, um, in many cases, who lives in manufactured housing because it straddles uh, um, ownership and rental in some ways. Lots of folks own their home, but they rent the land that their home sits on. Sometimes it's difficult to identify them in the numbers that exist. Um, I do think I could get that data, though, because Len Sandler, professor with the University of Iowa College of Law, has been absolutely dogged um, in getting together all of the data that one could possibly muster about manufactured uh, housing communities and so um, I could probably um, get that information. You have it, Steve. 1,179 students in our district. So that's not the whole county, just in the IOC community. What was your source for that? Wow, that's There you go. Thank you very much, Steve. I'd also like to add a kudos to the, I mentioned Gulfview, those residents banded together and uh, as an organized labor member, we've always talked about Stronger Together, and these folks banded together and formed an association, and that 63% rent increase, it's still going to happen, but uh, the new owners, uh, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, agreed to stagger it over time rather than just one lump. All of a sudden, it's going to be 63% increase. So we're trying also to encourage some of the other mobile home um, parks to to form associations because it's very helpful. So you folks have what, like thirteen or 14,000 students, Steve? Is that 14,500? Four, 14, so that's good. 7 or 8% or something like that. That's good percent. Wow. So, Sarah, the way they did it by using a dress should be possible at Clear Creek Amana also, which there are several large uh, mobile home parks in that district. Western Hills. Western Hills and Parkview. We could ask the district to find Yeah. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to see both yeah. major districts. Anything else on the subject? Can I add one more thing? Sure. Sorry. Um, uh, so my job as the person who convened this committee, I think it's my duty to make sure that this report doesn't go on your shelves 
um, to collect dust. So um, I, I will ask you, what have you been doing? And you know, Pauline did a great job of pointing out that they already reflected on their existing documents and how they could be more specific about what programs are available to folks who live in mobile homes. Um, you should you should um, feel free to brag every time you accomplish one of the things on that list of 12. Um, and I'm going to particularly urge you to really think about the funding that's available, um, both for helping residents who have been harmed by um, dramatic and traumatic rent increases, but also to preserve the stability of these manufactured homes. Because if we don't invest in keeping these homes in good quality, I can't in all good consciousness call it a great stable place for someone to live either so it's not just about them having an address it's about them having a, a home that contributes to a sense of stability and well-being and for many of these homes um, there's some work that needs to happen you know one of the things we looked at was okay if I'm someone who has a hole in my floor do any of these recommendations help me um, and unfortunately, that's a question we have to ask on behalf of many of our manufactured housing residents. So, um, so uh, thank you for looking at it. And now go back and say, what's our plan um, for addressing these items? And thank you. I'm sorry, Sarah, one more question before you leave. Of the 3,000 units, <clears throat> what, what number is pre-1976? I think that there's a good amount of that data in one of the report things, but okay. it, it kind of has, you have to go through and like count each one. And so sometimes it's, you have to tease that out a little <coughs> bit too. For but, those but that Len don't know. got a spreadsheet um, for every county, um, every housing type, how many were constructed in, in each of the windows of time. Okay. And so I can zero in on that data if, if it's not in there already. M mobile homes that are pre-1976 are um, dangerous. They weren't built to the same standards that we would want to see for a stick-built house. Um, and so, you know, down the road, we need to have more conversations about how to help residents to replace those homes or other things as well. So this is an ongoing conversation in some ways. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Anything else on the subject? Okay, uh -huh. general entity updates, and I'll do this on a volunteer basis. <laughs> Before I start calling on people. <laughs> well, I'll get, I'll go Thank first. Thank you. You were going to be first on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have a, a, an invitation to all of you to, to hand out. Um, you, know, you all know that we're building a new arena in Corville that will be opening in August. And about every six weeks or so, we try and have a community open house just to give the latest updates on where things stand and show off the latest photos and, and plans and so forth. And the ones we've had so far have all been somewhere in a different business down in the river landing area near the arena. But we really, really, really believe this is a, a regional facility and will benefit the entire community and everyone represented here. So uh, we're going to start moving these uh, community meetings around and the next one is this Thursday just three days from now uh, at the view restaurant in downtown Iowa City at 430 so if you'd like to get an update and do it in a beautiful surrounding the view this Thursday at 430 you can hear some more about it so thank you others for Iowa City um, our climate action emergency um, the plan there for the hundred days that we um, have executed through our staff will be we have actually created a climate action commission and so they have the 100-day report that will be eager to receive back um, 
on the council agenda just to make some final uh, decisions there. So I would just urge everybody to keep your ear out for that. Um, I know that the school board um, has uh, done something um, along the line of climate action as well as the university, uh, as well, University of Iowa. So um, as, as uh, Iowa City unveils some, some more of what we're doing, just uh, wanted to make sure that you all are aware and keep an eye out. May I piggyback? From uh, the school board standpoint, we have um, our baseline emissions data that we worked with the University of Northern Iowa to collect. Uh, we had the preliminary report before the holidays. Tomorrow at, a, uh, at our board meeting, we'll be going through a plan that's been put forward based on that baseline emissions information. And so I think we'll have a good conversation at the board meeting tomorrow night and what our plan is looking like for the school district. And um, I think it's looking good. I think we'll hit the 45% reduction according to our forecast by 2022 instead of 2030, so I think we're making good progress. A lot of things that we'll be talking about in terms of initiatives going forward to bring those emissions down um, to the 2050 goal of zero. Um, and one more thing while I'm uh, giving an update from the school board, um, we're also doing some work around um, mission and vision for our district. We've heard a number of our directors talk about that, and um, we'll be talking about that in a work session tomorrow. Um, working with a group called Battelle, a community um, uh, 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 coming in to work in our community to help us as a community uh, understand what we want the role of the school district to be in terms of our secondary um, uh, community college, business community, what can our schools be doing to help our entire region. So we'll be going through a, a discussion at our work session tomorrow to talk about what that process looks like and, and help folks understand what their role can be in, in that kind of mission vision work as we talk about a portrait of a graduate. So anything else, <coughs> Charlie or Lisa, that you'd want to add? It's fine, thanks. Thank you. I, I want to say, my wife and I attended Choirs for a Cause last week. That place was packed. And it was nice to see all three high schools participate in a fantastic program. And please pass that on to your, you know, arts and music teachers because it was almost overwhelming. Yeah, we'll do. Thank you. Any other volunteers? I guess... Um, <clears throat> From a county perspective, uh, you heard a lot of what we've been spending time on, which was the Access Center discussion. Uh, probably, like the rest of you, a lot of work on budget. And uh, I would say that would that would primarily be any report I would give. Anybody have anything else to think of? Okay. As far as North Liberty is concerned, um, Police department building is on schedule and we're hoping for an April move-in date. And this is even after we found two cisterns and an empty old gas tank in the ground. <laughs> this is really fun for our people to tackle, but it looks like April is a very real possibility. St. Andrews Drive that goes from Community Park to North Bend School, we will be taking bids on that and working that this year, so that road would be completely complete. Um, the Southwest Growth Area, uh, that is going to go out for bid in the very near future. And this is a major sewer project that we've been working on that will go on either side of the interstate. And once that's done, it's going to open approximately 500 acres around the interstate for development. So we're taking on that beast as well. Anything else from anyone? Mayor, I'd like to invite everyone to our Beat the Bitter festivals. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, 
uh, hibernation happens in the wintertime, and we don't all have community festivals, but our Beat the Bitter will be uh, January 25th through February 1st with lots of family fun activities, uh, all free. Uh, those that are uh, paid are sold out, from what I've been told, so we hope uh, to see everyone and uh, welcome everybody to join us in uh, playing in the snow and the cold. Mm -hmm. Since we're doing invites, I'd like to invite everybody to come out to the MLK. Uh, we have a whole week uh, with collaborations with the University of Iowa and other people in the community. And it's just a whole week of festivities starting this Thursday, the 17th, at the Kingdom Center, the Dream Center, um, with the voter registration, trying to get people out Friday night. It's free skating at the Downtown Rec Center. Saturday will be a forum for students. Um, Sunday, will be at the Vox, Voxman? Voxman. The Vox, Voxman. Yeah, Voxman. We're going to have a gospel show asking you to please come out 5 p.m. Going to be awesome. Praise and worship. And then uh, Monday morning we will open up um, with the Unity March at 9 o'clock at UAY, starting at UAY, and we'll have a rally for probably about 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll march around to Mercer. And inside, once we get to Mercer, there'll be various activities and there's going to be some awards and entertainment inside. And food will be served at lunch. Uh, 2.30, I cannot leave this out, Bethel AME <laughs> will have their Black History program. And then at 5 o'clock, the Corville Library, Corville Library, um, there will be a reading of MLK. And then on Tuesday, I'd just like to invite people out. If you have not seen it, I sent out a private invitation of sending out a semi-formal where you're able to put on some clothes and dress up and come to a fundraiser that I'm doing. The fundraiser is uh, to help us take another 40 students um, on the civil rights tour. Uh, food is free. So it's a free event. You get to dress up and eat. So come out. That's Tuesday at Settlebrook Clubhouse, 6 p.m., and it's inside, off of Hines Road, inside of, um, Clubhouse? Yeah, the Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments from anybody else? Okay, next meeting date and time. <clears throat> Who's going to be drafted or volunteered? I was volunteering Louise. Yeah. I've been there for a while. Here in University Heights. Um, <laughs> I was counting. There's almost 20 people here, and that's could probably do it. Uh, okay, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Louise. I had talked to her earlier, just so you know. I'll probably have to do that job, too. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been there. That's what it, it has been a while. Date. Oh, uh, okay, so my, it's at the community center, the chambers behind the police station that you see on Melrose and Sunset. Uh, that's where it is, where one university place is, where Maggie's Pizza and the new coffee shop in the back parking lot I my calendar says it'd be April 13th, 13th April 13th is that right yep. second Monday of three months from now very good <laughs> thank you for being volunteered you were glad to see me yeah <laughs> Paige now <laughs> anything else by the group Time for public comment for anyone who would like to come up and say their piece. Going, going, we're adjourned. Okay.
I thought you were going to go three times, you know. 